So we're continuing our study of Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 29, Explanation of Devotional Service by Lord Kapila. And we're today we're starting on text 15. A devotee must execute his prescribed duties, which are glorious, without material profit, without excessive violence, one should regularly perform one's devotional service. Purport, uh, Prabhupada writes, one should not think that his prescribed duties are inferior. A brahmana can serve the Lord by using his intelligence, and the chatriya can serve the Supreme Lord by using his military arts, just as Arjuna served Krishna. Arjuna was a warrior. He had no time to study Vedanta or other highly intellectual books. The damsels of Prajadham were girls born of the Vaishya class, and they engaged in protecting cows and producing agriculture. Krishna's foster father, Nanda Maharaj, and his associates were all Vaishyas. They were not at all educated, but they could serve Krishna by loving him and by offering everything to him. Similarly, there are many instances in which chandalas, chandalas, or those lower than sudras, have served Krishna. Also, the sage Vidura was considered a sudra because his mother happened to be, a, to be sudra. There are no distinctions, for it is declared by the Lord in Bhagavad Gita that anyone engaged specifically in devotional service is elevated to the transcendental position without a doubt. Everyone's prescribed duty is glorious if it is performed in devotional service of the Lord without desire for profit. Such, service, such loving service must be, must be performed without reason, without impediment, and spontaneously. Krishna is lovable, and one has to serve him in whatever capacity one can, that is pure devotional service. So, um, this is always, this is something, you know, of course, really important for us to understand, both in our lives and also in sharing Krishna consciousness with others, this kind of juxtaposition between Varnashrama and the importance that Srila Prabhupada placed in it, and of course, the ultimate understanding that we're all souls, completely not this body, and, in, and ultimately, not only ultimately, but essentially, uh, servants of the Lord, without any distinction even of species. Right? A blade of grass is no lesser than us on the absolute platform. Um, yet, there are these distinctions um, so one, one way that I like to think of Varnashram sometimes is um, there's, a, there's a book, kind of a well-known book. It comes out every year, and it's called What Color Is Your Parachute? Has anyone ever heard of it? You've heard of it? You've heard of it also? No. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a book about uh, helping people find their, uh, an occupation, or, or rather, maybe more specifically, their occupation, something that really matches their nature yeah and of course it's about job hunting and finding jobs and things like that but but specifically you know what are you interested in and then how can you connect that with the job market right so 
leaving the job market aside, perhaps, um, the, the three essential questions, I checked their website today, and one of the, fir the first question is, what do you most love to do? That's the first question they ask. Where would you most love to do it? And how do you name such jobs, and how do you find such jobs? So uh, as tricky as it may be to sometimes understand something like Varnashram Dharma, it's as simple as this on one level. Uh, and the easy thing about it was that in, in, a, in a really first-class Vedic culture, you wouldn't have to like, be concerned if you can find a job in that occupation. It would be, it would be available. You know, of course, there may be some limitations. I mean, there may not be IT professionals at least you know, 5,000 years ago or something like that. But um, it was relatively easy, as far as I can understand, uh, I don't remember being in the Varnashram society, maybe I was some previous birth, um, that plugging in your nature into finding an occupation wasn't that hard, but that was basically the idea. And Srila Prabhupada is kind of confirming that, uh, the essential point here in the purport where he says, uh, everyone's prescribed duty is glorious if, and that's a big underline, if it is... Uh, performed in devotional service to the Lord. So whatever our prescribed duty, whatever our nature is, it's, you know, first of all, it's temporary. It's only for this lifetime. Uh, but secondly, whatever it is, we, we engage in it. We try to find a way to engage in a occupation that matches our nature. And then we offer that somehow or other, in one way or another, to the Lord in devotional service. So it's actually, you know, on that level, Varnashram is really simple, you know, when you start getting into the details of the different prescribed duties and, and how they relate to each other, you know, that, that, that gets a little more complicated, but it's essentially this, so that there's a connection between the two kinds of swadharmas, the two kinds of uh, act, uh, activities, our constitutional and our conditional. So Varnashram deals with our conditional swadharma, but tries to connect it with our constitutional swadharma, our spiritual swadharma, and that's how, and that's exactly this half of the sentence Prabhupada is doing that. Everyone's prescribed duty is glorious if it is performed in devotional service to the Lord. So some thoughts on Varnashram or, yes, Andy, microphone. Uh, how do you spell it? Well, it, it, there's different spellings, but V-A-R-N-A S uh, S H R A M A. Yeah. No, it's compound. Varna and ashrama. It's a compound. Yes, Varna means uh, your occupational duty, your Brahmana, Chatriya, Vaishya, Sudra, Chandal, etc., etc., etc. And ashrama means your stage in life, Brahmachari. Grihasta, Vanaprastha, and Sannyasi. Prabhupada may not put an H in it. In the uh, in, in BBT may not put an H in it, right? A A S R A M A. And Prabhupada really considered it very important to establish establish Varnashrama in Iskan, and it's a difficult task to try to understand how to do it. Let, let's put it that way. Uh, Ramapat Maharaj held a uh, conference on it, a rural living, but Varnashrama in uh, 
Gita Nagar, you were there. You were, you know, um, and different people had different ideas because uh, for for a lot of people, it's understood that it's much easier to do in a um, rural setting. You know, where um, farming and the growing of uh, produce and the care of cows, et cetera, is, uh, is prominent. But regardless of that, the, there's, there's an essential point that, one, that one's varna is based in, in the Bhagavad Gita, chatur varnya mayasrishtam, guna, karma, vibhagasa. That is based on guna, our natural qualities, and karma, the kind of work that we're inclined to do and not janma. That's the real point. So in India, it's all become based on janma, on birth. And that was the corruption of the system. Not that janma is totally unimportant. You know, if, you, if your father was a lawyer, there may be some, probably a higher percentage chance of you becoming a lawyer than the average uh, population. But it's obviously not a sure thing <laughs> in any stretch of the imagination. You know, and how many times, probably most times, uh, in America at least, people don't follow in the footsteps of their parents. Whereas traditionally it was more like that. You see even in India, like the Marwari community, who are, uh, who are really business-minded people, it's very likely that their children, at least up until now, would inherit their, uh, their business and continue it. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Krishna says, guna karma, vibhagasa. So, we, so the point is, Varnashram was actually, in that, again, in that sense, very simple. You found a livelihood, especially if you're a grihasta, take care of your family, put food on the table, put a roof over your head, and then you didn't make too big a deal out of it. You, then you got on with life, and you also uh, spent your uh, extra time, instead of trying to be somebody else, who looks like you know, the grass is greener on the other side, you could spend that time cultivating spiritual consciousness. Other thoughts on that? Okay. Well, then we will continue. Text 16. The devotee should regularly see my statues in the temple, touch my lotus feet, and offer worshipful, worshipable paraphernalia and prayer. He should see in the spirit of renunciation from the mode of goodness, and see every living entity as spiritual. So that's an interesting point, right? To see in the mode of goodness, right? And we studied, you know, previously what, what the mode of goodness means. But uh, it, for example, it's seeing oneness instead of difference, right? This is mentioned, I think, 17th chapter? Yeah, of the Bhagavad Gita. Right, that uh, one one sees more commonalities. The person in the mode of passion just sees differences everywhere. You know, I'm Pakistani and you're Indian. I have to dislike you, right, or whatever. You voted this way and I voted that way. It's all very rajarsic and perhaps also tamasic. But sattva is we're all whatever. We're all humans. We're all, well, of course. All, and then suda sattva is we're all servants of God. Right, so he should see in the spirit of renunciation, because that's also the mode of goodness, from the mode of goodness, and see every living entity as spiritual. We'll hear more about every living entity as spiritual in the next verse. 
A pure devotee should execute devotional service by giving the greatest respect to the spiritual master and the acharyas. He should be compassionate to the poor and make, thank you, and make friendship with persons who, that's okay. Usually you gotta cover these things in India, right? Especially, right? Probably, I think Prabhupada once said a, uh, a open glass with water in it in India is calling death very near, something like that. Yes, stuff can get, but you know, here we don't have to, yeah, we don't have to worry about it too much here. Especially if we're going to try to cover it with a cup like that. <laughs> It'd be really hard. <laughs> no problem. He should be compassionate to the poor and make friendship with persons who are his equals. But all his activities should be executed under regulation and with control of the senses. And the last paragraph, Srila Prabhupada writes, in Bhagavad Gita, there is reference to bodhayanta parasparam, discussion among themselves. Generally, pure devotees utilize their valuable time in chanting and discussing various activities of Lord Krishna or Lord Chaitanya amongst themselves. There are innumerable books, such as the Puranas, Mahabharata, Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, and Upanishads, which contain countless subjects for discussion among two devotees or more. Friendship should be cemented between persons with mutual interests and understanding. Such persons are said to be swajati, of the same caste. So jati literally means caste, but usually the way Srila Prabhupada would translate swajati or swajatiya is like-minded, right? So, um, that is what's being mentioned here and also in the translation. Um, uh, make friendships with persons who are his equals. So this, this is actually showing how to respect different people, right? Those who are your, who are your um, seniors or, or more advanced, uh, you offer them great respect. Um, you have compassion for those who, those who are less uh, fortunate, we could say. And those who are fr equals, um, we make a uh, very close friendship with. And especially those who are swajatiya, uh, like-minded. They have the same, and hopefully we have an interest in making spiritual advancement. And then we associate with those who are eager to make spiritual advancement. You know, um, association is so powerful. It's one of the five most powerful items of bhakti. And then actually two of the five most potent items are mentioned here because uh, one is Bhagavat Shravana, or hearing the Shastra, hearing the scriptures, hearing the Bhagavatam. And so what are you supposed to do, I mean, especially supposed to do when you get together with devotee friends is hear the Shastra. Of course, you're going to say, hi, how are you? And, you know, have some uh, uh, guacamole without onions in it and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> and garlic. But <clears throat> also, machita <clears throat> makata prana, Bodhiyantas parasparam, katiyantas chamam nityam, tushanticha, ramanticha. This is in the 10th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, I believe, uh, verse 9. Is that right? Yeah. And it says that the thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in, my, dwell in me, their lives are surrendered unto me, and they derive great satisfaction and bliss, enlightening one another and conversing about me. So that's especially what devotees are meant to do when they 
get together. Um, and then there's even a warning in the next, verse, next sentence that the devotee should avoid a person whose character is not fixed in the standard understanding, even though he may be a Vaishnava or a devotee of Krishna. If his character is not correctly representative, then he should be avoided. So that doesn't mean you avoid people who are less advanced than us, but if they just want to talk about politics all day or this or that, we might just say, um, you know, Hare Krishna, and then find someone who wants to talk about Krishna. Um, you know, not, not in a mean-spirited way, but the point is that um, one should be, uh, you know, the, the, uh, there's that saying, right? You tell me who you associate with, then I tell you who you are, because we're so affected by association. You see that in all of us. Of course, you see that big time in, in teenagers. They're very, very, very affected by peers and influenced by them. Yeah. <clears throat> so parents were always worried, who, you know, who are my teenage kids hanging out with? Right. Mm. So that's, um, uh, I, I believe, I, I might get the Sanskrit or the, Bengali wrong, but I think Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, you know, Svajatiya Snighasya, Snighasya, that means um, associate with like-minded people with affection. <clears throat> now, there could be an argument made that if you only associate with people who really see the world the way you do, you might not expand your consciousness very much. Right? It's, I mean, isn't it interesting? Like, if you meet someone who has a very different worldview than you, it's like, you know, you feel like your mind's just been rewired, but you also may be expanding your, your knowledge. Right? So we may do that also, but um, of course, we might choose to restrict that within Krishna consciousness, but there may be people who have a very different outlook on certain parts of Krishna consciousness. Uh, we're going to read, actually, I might read it now just because it's uh, interesting. Uh, or it's connected in some ways, but it's really connected to verse 22, um, where Srila Prabhupada says that a candidate for Krishna consciousness in the Western countries should be taught about the renunciation of material existence, but one would teach candidates from a country like India in a different way. So even uh, in the association of Vaishnavas, people who have different conditionings, different upbringings, they might see certain things in a different way. But as long as they're uh, interested in hearing and chanting about Krishna, they may not be totally swad, swajati in that sense. There may be some differences all within the scope of Krishna consciousness. Some thoughts on that? Good. Yeah. Well, I had uh, some problems with this, like the last part of the purport. Uh huh. Because there's, there's. A thing in my mind I think of is like the asterisk or the fine print. Uh -huh. We're always so aspirational. When you get to the really what you have to do, sometimes there's little intricacies that you find out when you study. Right. right? So in further purports, they're saying how a Vaishnava is actually a very high level of attainment. Right. And I know I'm not at it. Right. And I, I think there's probably more than a few people in this congregation that are so, right. also aren't. So, so judging saying uh, character is not correctly representative, that's hard to do unless you really are a Vaishnava. And I'm not sure it's, I know it's a good, I know it's our aspiration and we're pending Vaishnavas. Right. I doubt how many real Vaishnavas, if you counted. 
Well, we count accurately. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a well, great question. not right. You know. It's a great question. Um, the word Vaishnava, well, the word Vaishnava literally means you're just a, a worshiper of Vishnu, right? I mean, that's the, you know, just the... Um, so sometimes Srila Prabhupada will refer to Vaishnava as you're saying here in, pre in future purports in a very, in, you know, the topmost kind of Vaishnava. Um, and then in other places we learn, for example, the 11th canto and also in the Nectar of Devotion, three categories of Vaishnavas, uh, Uttama, Madhyama, and Kanishta. Um, and they're characterized differently. Uh, the Uttama in the Nectar of Devotion is, is characterized, this is under the chapter Eligibility uh, of Devotional Service. And the Uttama is one who has strong faith and knows the Shastra. And Madhyama is one who may not know the Shastra so long, but has so, so well, but has strong faith. And the um, Kanishta has weak faith and weak knowledge. In the 11th canto, it's, it's a little slightly different mentioned. It, it is uh, that the Uttama is one who sees Krishna everywhere. They, they're just in love with Krishna. And the Madhyama is one who uh, um, worships the Lord, makes friendship with devotees, um, gives Krishna consciousness to the innocent and avoids the envious. And the Kanishta is one who just only sees Krishna in the temple and doesn't treat others in a respectful way understanding that, like we're going to hear about today, if we get there, the Lord in the heart. Okay, so, um, we, so we may use the word Vaishnava differently, but uh, Bhakti, I believe it's Bhakti Vinod Thakur, you know, directly addresses your point, directly. And he says that sometimes a third-class devotee is called um, uh, Vaishnava Abbas, which would be like the, the glimmer or the shadow of a devotee. But then he says that we have to call him Vaishnava because if we didn't, then the Madhyama, the person who worships the Lord, makes friends with devotees, avoids, you know, uh, right, wouldn't associate with them. <laughs> so he was making room. He wanted to make sure that there's room for Andes of the world, <laughs> right? That yes, Vaishnava also. Maybe not this level, but still Vaishnava, worshiping Vishnu. And therefore, the devotees who are more advanced will associate with those, with those people. So yes, he, he, actually, he actually almost you know, directly answers your question. Because someone might say, oh, I only associate with Vaishnavas. Therefore, I'm just going to, you know, who am I going to associate with? Let's see, you know, uh, Rohanpad Swami and Anutsama Prabhu and like maybe five people on the whole planet. You know, whatever, right? <laughs> but no, we, 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 we broadened, uh, he broadened it like that for that very reason. Yes, yeah, so so we are. We like to. I think what we what we generally like to think of ourselves is aspiring Vaishnavas. When we look in the mirror, uh, aspiring Vaishnavas, but um, and therefore we choose our association. Go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. He's just go ahead. Even Prabhupada would never really admit that he was a right. Acharya, although everybody knew he was, but he would never say it. So he would always underrate. Right. That time when he gave a class on Varnashram in um, Sweden, it was a, social, a socialistic, a socialistic kind of country, and he's talked about first class, second class, third class, fourth class people, um, not 
and maybe he didn't take the time to explain the point that we just read, right, that they're all equal. <laughs> so people only heard first class, second class, or, you know, Brahman Chaturvash. And so somebody yelled at him, in what class are you? And Prabhupada said, I am fifth class. I'm the servant of everyone. <laughs> and that kind of silenced everybody. They were all expecting him to say, I'm first class. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I think the key here, the essential uh, lesson for us, is to have deep friendships with devotees. And that can take many different ways. One, one way that Rupa Goswami explains it is that you, you, know, you exchange gifts. Um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be you know, material gifts. You could also exchange verses. Oh, I just read this today, and it was wonderful. That's a kind of gift, isn't it? Right? I was just listening to Banu Swami's lecture yesterday on YouTube about astrology. And he, he's so lucid. And so he, uh, he said that before you take an action, you should consider five things. And if it's all yes to the answer of five questions, then you should do it. If it's no to any of them, don't do it. And it was, is this activity uh, helpful for me physically? Is this activity helpful for me mentally? Is this activity, let me see if I remember them all. Uh, does it, uh, is it aesthetically pleasing? Does it bring beauty to the world? Um, I can't remember one of them. And the last one was, does it lead to unconditional love? So I saw that, I read it, I, and I didn't read it, I heard it. And so I typed it, actually I could, I could find it, I typed it out to find you that, that one that I'm missing. I typed it out and I sent it to my wife and my son. So that was a gift, right? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't you know, anything material, but it was a gift. So we can give gifts in, in different ways, right? <clears throat> Let me just see if I can find that one. That one's bothering me, which was the fifth one? Unless somebody know, but I'm not sure I'm connected to the internet says I am, but maybe they changed the password. I think they probably, or it doesn't work. Oh, here we go. Uh, oh, is the action ethical? Is the action, so good for my health, good for my mind, ethical, aesthetic, does it create aesthetics in the world, and does it lead to unconditional love? So I just thought it was really interesting, and, but then I, you know, so that's a gift. Right? And then giving prasadam and accepting prasadam. We just can't underestimate how important prasadam is. Uh, and we're going to actually hear about it in one of the purports. So again, if we, if we get to it. Um, and then revealing one's mind and confidence. You know, Prabhu, can I tell you something personal? You know? And also uh, being available when other devotees want to reveal their minds to us. And these are uh, sadvidhi priti lakshanam. They're the exchanges, the lakshana, the symptoms of love, a priti, between one devotee and another. Okay? All right. Then anything else on text 17? And this whole thing about swajati. Yes, microphone. Also, it can, looks like um, as a practicing or a, or a person trying to become a devotee, my intention is to respect everybody around me who is chanting God's names. Yes, that's Vaishnavas. another way to look at it. 
they are vaishnavas and i even though i might not be intimately associating with them at least i can respect them within my mind that yes. they are vaishnavas and they are on the right path that's another way to look at it can you find that verse in nectar of instruction mom mantra you have it on your phone yeah what is it is it 5 or 6 the verse that he's referring to that mentally respect people yeah if you could find that please and then give him oh the microphones right there the red ones right there um in the meantime yes very good point yes and we'll we'll read the verse that you're referring to in a few minutes a devotee should always try to hear about spiritual matters and should always utilize his time in chanting the holy name of the lord his behavior should always be straightforward and simple and although he is not envious but friendly to everyone he should avoid the company of those who are not spiritually advanced so there's the same point right <laughs> when one is fully qualified with all these transcendental attributes and his consciousness is thus completely purified he is immediately attracted simply by hearing my name or hearing of my transcendental qualities and here's the verse it begins it begins krishyati yasya giritam manasa triyata and the the english is one should mentally honor the devotee who chants the holy name of lord krishna one should offer humble obeisances to the devotee who has undergone spiritual initiation diksha and is engaged in worshiping the deity and one should associate with and faithfully serve that pure devotee who is advanced in undeviated devotional service and listen to this part this is very wonderful and whose heart is completely devoid of the propensity to criticize others thank you yes but the bottom line is respect the bottom line is aretha franklin right r e s p e c t find out what it means to me yeah and you can respect all living entities you know i told you that story that when one time there was that slug crawling up the wall right yeah this way in the early days of iskon and the devotee said probably about this a slug what should we do and he said chant to the poor thing <laughs> Did I just did I just read 19 or I read 18? What? I read 18. Yeah, so one one is fully qualified with all these transcendental attributes and his consciousness is thus completely purified. He is immediately Oh, yeah, I did read this. He's immediately attracted simply by hearing the name. So Bhaktivedanta Thakur writes about this in a song. Um I'm paraphrasing now, but when he when he says when he hears the beating of the mridanga his heart just jumps for joy and he wants to run to the kirtan so that's the mood of uh when we really have a taste for bhakti that uh we you know we pick we wake up in the morning we just can't wait to chant our japa right or go to the temple or see radha madan mohan or or whatever that eagerness is actually the price to pay there's a verse that says tatra loyam apimulyam ekalam that there's um janma koti sukritar na labyate uh you can do all kinds of really nice things uh for koti for thousands of lifetimes you know walk old ladies across the street and plant trees and which is good it's not bad right but the uh the real price to pay for krishna is loyam the i mean sometimes it's even translated in one of those counterintuitive ways it's translated as greed because we think of greed as bad 
but the greed to love God is good. So tatra loyam ek, so ekalam, the one price one has to pay ultimately to receive Krishna's full blessings is an eagerness to love him, an eagerness to serve him. Not like, oh God, it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday, I have to go to that class. Oh my God, torture. Oh, I gotta hear Brajavi Hari again, you know. Maybe I can call in sick. <laughs> right. Right. <clears throat> but, you know, but rather eagerness would be, despite the lousy speaker, I get to hear the Bhagavatam and associate with devotees. So therefore, let me do it. So that's actually the price to pay. Right? As much as we want whatever we like in this world, whether it's pizza or you know, uh, walks along the uh, canal or just whatever you think is just like, wow, I would love to do that. If, if we can direct that kind of spirit to Krishna, our life's perfect. Our life's perfect. But unfortunately, the way we are now, pizza usually wins the day. <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, a Redskins game or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Winning the lottery, you know, whatever that we're eager for. Um, if we could direct that eagerness towards Krishna, then our life becomes perfect. Text 20. Unless there's any comments, questions? As the chariot of air carry as the chariot that the chariot of air of course here is metaphorical the chariot of air carries an aroma from its source and immediately catches the sense of smell similarly one who constantly engages in devotional service in krishna consciousness can catch the supreme soul who is equally present everywhere so we gave that example last week right that the radio waves are everywhere they're all over this room right now Right, but if you have a radio, you catch it. So similarly, God is everywhere. But, ha but having devotion towards him, loving him, uh, one sees him everywhere. One actually experiences him in our life. So we have to you know, tune into the right channel, so to speak, which is bhakti, which is devotion. Right, and you can catch him. Mm -hmm. Just as the nose naturally... Uh, is tuned into a different smell. Right? It's a very powerful sense. If you think about our senses, they're quite strong, right? We're very attached to what we see. And of course, Srila Prabhupada would often say that hearing in one sense is the most important in the sense that if you're asleep at night and uh, you know, um, there's a fire or something, but the alarm or the, you know, someone yelling or screaming is what will jar you awake and save you. And so hearing is very important. Somebody, if you think about it, all of our senses are, are so strong that they really capture us, right? You know, just like, uh, I don't know if you ever walked in a mall, but uh, this one company, Cinnabon, right? So they actually, you know, you can, they actually plan that they send out the smells of the, uh, of the cinnamon uh, rolls, yes, out and... They make a detour, <laughs> right? So the so the, the nose very right, and the sound of something. You know how strong is sound in creating emotions, right? And a song that you knew from when you were a teenager or something, and you were going through "She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not" or whatever. That 
we remind that's very strong. Or what's speak of kirtan, right? If, if we're devotees or bhajans, right? So a sound is very powerful. Smell is very powerful. Of course, taste is super powerful, right? I was, uh, I was on a plane the other day and, um, you know, they have, in, in, uh, in United, they have the, um, what do they call it, direct TV? You have to put in your credit card, and, right? So I didn't, I, was, I didn't put in my credit card, but I was just, but it was silent, so, but I was just looking at the screen and I was just trying to, you know, they had different advertisements and things and I could see, you know, basically, if you look at it through this lens, you just think of which sense is this advertisement trying to focus on, right? And a lot of it was the tongue, a lot of it was taste. Right? And I won't mention some of the things that were there because it, it requires uh, violence in order to get that kind of food. But it was all about you know, trying to attract our sense to that sense object. Right? And then, of course, some pictures of uh, Bermuda or the Bahamas or something that attract the eyes. Right? And also, perhaps, the mental sense of relaxation and things. So there's so many things that are trying, that are vying for our attention, especially Madison Avenue, uh, you know, um, advertisements. Basically, they have a very good understanding of the Bhagavatam, that, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, that these five senses are very powerful. So you just figure out a way to capture those five senses. So our job is to um, refocus our five senses, to taste prasadam, food that's been offered to Krishna, to hear kirtanam bhajan, to smell the incense offered to the Lord, to, uh, to touch the lotus feet of the Lord or the devotees or give them a hug when, they, when you see them or whatever. And so to just to steer it, uh, steer them in a spiritual direction, not to negate them, not to go off as a yogi into the forest and try to just sit there, oh, I mean, who's going to do that? Oh, and then you start thinking, oh, I got my mortgage. <laughs> right, you know, who's going who's gonna to do that? But so therefore, instead of trying to negate the senses, use them, just redirect them, redirect them. Some thoughts on that? No? Okay. Uh, then we'll continue. Text 21. I am present in everyone, in every living entity as a supersoul. If someone neglects or disregards that supersoul everywhere and engages himself in the worship of the deity of the Lord, uh, the deity in the temple, that is simple imitation. When it worships the deity of Godhead in the temples, but does not know that the Supreme Lord is Paramatma, is situated in everyone living in his heart, must be in ignorance, is compared to one who offers oblations unto ashes. So this, this is, it's not that it's bad to worship the deity in the temple, right? But what, this, what these two verses we just read, they're trying to elevate our consciousness and say, okay, part of actually worshiping God is to, is to respect all of his creation, right? And to understand that God's in his super soul feature is in everyone's heart. And therefore, we can respect every living entity. And we may respect them differently, just like I was in South Dakota this week um, for my uh, work. And um, 
So one of the people, they go out and they, uh, they survey land. That's one of the jobs of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Not our Indian, Native American Indians. <laughs> yeah. um, and so they, they said the thing they have to be careful about is mountain lions. So believe it or not, there's a lot of mountain lions in South Dakota, or at least as part of South Dakota. So the point is that we can respect the mountain lion, but we don't say, oh, coochie, coochie, coog, <laughs> give me a hug, you know, my dear mountain lion, right? So there's, there's equality and there's also, you know, equity, you know, that we, we may respect the tiger by understanding God's in the tiger's heart, but also making sure that there's that cage between us, right? Uh, or what is that park in India where I went to Sarishika? Is that how you pronounce it? The place where the tigers are? I think it's in... Uh, it's in, it's in Rajasthan, right? Gujarat? That's another place. Anyway, I remember we went, uh, this was years ago. What's that? I thought it started with an S. Anyway, wherever it is. Uh, so we, we went there with my, uh, my wife's family, and we didn't see one tiger. <laughs> But I remember the time because it was the time when India and Australia were in the finals of the um, cricket World Cup. Yeah, so whatever year that was, quite some time ago. Um, but anyway, point, point being that um, d d the next step in, under in coming to a temple, and it's wonderful, we should come to the temple and offer respects to, to the deity form of the Lord. But the next step in, is understanding that Krishna... Lord Ram, Lord Chaitanya, in their expanded form are in everyone's heart. And therefore to be respectful and understanding that Krishna is not only on the altar, he's everywhere. So in the purport, Prabhupada says, since the individual soul is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, in that sense the Lord is living in everybody as a super soul. The Lord is also present as a witness that's scary, right? <laughs> God actually sees all of our activities. Um, or that could be really good, depending on what our activities are. <laughs> in both cases, the presence of God in every living entity is essential. Therefore, persons who profess to belong to some religious sect, but who do not feel the presence of the Supreme Personality of God in, in every living entity and everywhere else, are in the modes of ignorance. I mean, they're, they're, that doesn't mean they're not spiritual, but they're on a lower level spirituality. If without this preliminary knowledge of the Lord's omnipresence, one simply attracts himself to the rituals in the temple, church, or mosque, it is as if he were offering butter into ashes rather than into fire. You know, swaha with the ghee into ashes. So this should be understood um, I, I like this, this, I think a really important word in Sanskrit is, and it has a, a short A and a long A, right? So it's Niyamagraha and Niyamagraha, okay? There's two pronunciations of it. And uh, one of them means um, uh, not following rules and regulations. And the other one means following the rules and regulations becoming proud of doing that, but not understanding the purpose behind them, right? So it's, a, it's two sides of the coin. Whereas, obviously, the right thing to do is to 
bless you, follow the rules and regulations, but with the purpose behind it, understanding what the purpose is and with the heart. Because you can kind of, you know, offer incense to the deities, ring the bell, okay, next, next, and think I'm Paka Pujari, right? Um, or I've come to the temple, I offered some milk, you know, something like that, it's because my mom told me, I saw my grandparents do it, whatever. But not understanding the purpose, the, the, the connection the, that Krishna is there in his murti form, and we, he's giving us a chance to reciprocate with him in, in love. So um, I'll just read a few uh, references. Uh, or is a, a devotee very strictly in following ritualistic rules and regulations mentioned in the Vedas? Becoming enamored by these rituals is the next impediment called niyamagraha. Because a devotee fully engages in the supreme service of the Lord, he fulfills all other obligations and doesn't have to execute the details of Vedic rituals. So, so the idea is uh, to, uh, and also of course we don't want to neglect, oh well I'll forget about going to the temple, or I'll just go to the temple for rituals. No, we should go to the temple to develop our love for Krishna. And of course this, this applies to a lot of things in life, not even just bhakti. Right, because we can either just kind of, you know, we, you know, in um, what do they call it? Um, retired in place. You ever heard about that? Someone who just goes to work every day, and pretty much is twiddling their thumbs, and getting paid, but they're already <laughs> they're already out the door, right? Or someone who doesn't go to work. Um, but the point here is that. Um, one should, it probably says, you know, one shouldn't simply go to, to a mosque, a church, or a temple um, just for the rituals, but it's important to understand the purpose behind the rituals. Right? Why do we offer incense? Well, actually, incense is an article that we can offer with bhakti, with devotion to the Lord. Right? Why go to the RT? It's, it's, it's a means of, of, venerating and worshiping the Lord and not just, you know, getting a few brownie points with God so that we'll get a Lexus instead of a Toyota or whatever, right? So um, in, any, in anything, uh, the journey is as important as the, or in some ways even more important than the goal. In some ways, I mean, the goal in our case is to love Krishna, but the process, um, of developing our love is, is very important. It's kind of like the idea that even, even in, in human relationships, right, the, the, we say that love is not a noun, it's a verb, right? It's sometimes considered a noun in, the, in Bollywood and Hollywood, right? You just sort of fall in love, you know, it's like beyond your control, right? But anyone knows that um, if you actually want to have a, a long-term relationship with your spouse. It, love is a verb. You have to, you know, serve one another. Yeah, you know, when when it's when you're bored with each other, you still, you know, do things to get along with each other. You know, it's 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 an action that has to go on. It's not just you know after the puppy love is over, you know, it, you know. Um, so similarly with Krishna, uh, it's not just going through the motions. You know, and not, and not just hoping, oh, maybe one day I'll love God, I'll love Krishna. No, it's, it's going through the daily activities of chanting japa in our beads and, 
and uh, offering our vegetarian food to Krishna with devotion and uh, serving uh, the temple, serving Vaishnavas, being kind to all living entities. It's a job. It's much harder than, you know, being an IT professional or a doctor or a lawyer. It's, 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 a, it's, not, it's a job is probably the wrong word, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's a big endeavor to actually uh, uh, develop our love for Krishna. It's, but it, the cool thing about it is it's fun. The process is enjoyable. It's not just like, you know, post-dated check, okay, at the end you'll love God. And mean now, meanwhile, you know, it's just grit and teeth. Oh, I hate doing this, but I know it's going to be really good at the end. No, the actual process. Tushanticha, uh, ramanticha. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, he says, tushta, it's satisfying. Ramanti, it gives pleasure. TK? Some questions, comments? Yes. So when you were mentioning about going through the motions of the ritual and not understanding the purpose behind it, it just reminded me of the pastime of Raghunandan Thakur. Where Who? Raghunandan Thakur, where he was offering the food to the deities as per the instructions of his mom. But he was so into it, he just wanted Krishna to come and partake the offering. Mm -hmm. We thought that he was not ready to call it a day. Right. <laughs> amazing personality and amazing consciousness and the Supreme Lord reciprocated to that love and that consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yes. And therefore Prabhupada didn't emphasize too much rituals. We have some rituals here. Um, he said, if I told you all the rituals, you'd faint. <laughs> but he, because he wanted us to have the essence, that's the point. Right? There's a, you know, really in, what is in Sanskrit, sar means essence, right? To really find the essence of, uh, of something, right, is really important. Mm. And I think, I think by his influence, I've seen that in my life that I've, like in my work, right? So my work is conflict resolution and helping people get along with each other. And, uh, and there, there's a pro, like in mediation, there's a process, there's stick, six steps. But I, I think I've seen by the kind of training I got spiritually from Prabhupada that don't lose sight, don't get so into the steps that you lose sight of why, what, what the steps are supposed to lead to. And the ultimate thing is what they lead to, you know, the essence of something. So it's good to know what the, the essence of anything is, right? And in one sense, we can make anything essentially about bhakti. When we eat lunch, right, which sometimes we just gobble down at work, right, you know? Uh, in the federal government, they only give us a half an hour for lunch. So like, <laughs> right? Um, but the essence of that is that we first offer that food to Krishna. We, we recognize that, oh, let's say uh, we have a sandwich, the grains didn't come just by, you know, going to uh, Safeway, right? The grains are, come from the ground, the, today's Earth Day, right? The uh, Mother Earth, is, uh, in the Shastra it says, Sarva Kama Dugha Mahi, that uh, Sarva means at all, Kama means um, needs, necessities in this case. Sarva kama dukamahi, that the earth provides all necessities. 
right? So the grains that came from, the, you know, to make this bread came from the earth. The uh, whatever else we put in the tomatoes came from the earth, and the lettuce came from the earth, and the, you know, whatever. Uh, if the cheese came from a mother cow who eats grass, and you know, and we can be appreciative of Krishna on that level, right? And then not only that, but I offered this 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 food stuffs to Krishna, so we can be devotion in a devotional mindset even when having lunch, even the simplest thing that we do every day. We can do in, with devotional consciousness. Yeah. So today is a, also a very special Sunday program. Uh, this Sunday, have you heard about that? Yeah. So we're not gonna. We're only a ten-minute talk, and then the rest of the time we're actually going to be doing service to Mother Earth outside. <laughs> and in Krishna, the weather certainly cooperated. Yeah. I was in San. Uh, I was in South Dakota this week. There was 17 inches of snow. So, you know, so I, coming to the temple today, I said, well, I have to put on my winter coat, you know, put on my hat. <laughs> um, the devotee must know that in every living entity, however insignificant he may be, even an ant, God is present, and therefore every living entity should be kindly treated and should not be subjected to any violence. In modern society, slaughterhouses are regularly maintained and supported by a certain type of religious principle. But without knowledge of the presence of God in every living entity, any so-called advancement of human civilization, either spiritual or material, is to be understood to be as being in the mode of ignorance. So the Shastra, the Bhagavatam, the Bhagavad Gita, they give us a different lens of seeing the world. It's called Shastra Chakshus. Right? You see through the eyes of Shastra. And therefore, we try to avoid violence to any living entity as far as possible. Okay, any questions, comments? Okay, then we're on the next verse. One who offers me respect but is envious of the bodies of others and is, and is therefore a separatist never attains peace of mind because of his inimical behavior towards other living entities. So the point is, you can't say I love God and then to hell with you. Right? There's a, I also understand that you're also a creation of the Lord. And everyone here is my brother and my sister. Right? That's part of, of saying I actually love God. Yes, microphone. So, um, so the acceptance, uh, treating everyone as uh, there is a Lord inside everyone. Uh -huh. um, but... Uh, uh, there is religion, there is philosophy, different philosophies, different countries. Uh, even in the spirituality, like, you know, uh, I heard about Christianity or Islam or like even Mayavadis. Um, there is always that, they, uh, I, I, I did hear from Mayavadis that like, uh, that is like everything is belongs to uh, the Lord and then like we are part of it and then, right. you know, everybody is same and... Uh, they are seeing a bigger picture, but like uh, in our cult, there is slightly, there is a discrimination. You are not worshiping the Lord, you are different. We are worshiping, the, we are not accepting the Supreme Lord. So there is always some discrimination is that we are not seeing, that is also, part, they are also part of the Lord and they are also, uh, you know, uh, it's God's creation and they are doing their duties. So in, do you have anything to say about that? Problem? No, uh, I, I, we, we, um 
We don't just go around saying, you know, we're right and everyone is wrong. That's not a, that wouldn't, Dale Carnegie wouldn't like that. He wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> what, what, we, what I like is uh, Rupa Goswami's definition uh, of bhakti. That bhakti means uh, serving God without desire for personal profit, right? Or trying to put yourself in the place of God and thinking, I'm the supreme. Basically, that's what he says in a nutshell. So we basically, it's called, he disentangles this, uh, just like in a rope, right? You know, a really strong rope is, takes three ropes and you tangle, right? Isn't that a good strong rope? It's three different strands. So he disentangles these three strands of karma, gyan, and bhakti. Uh, karma meaning that we might even, we do activities, religious activities, but really, I'm looking out for number one. You know, like uh, Janis Joplin wrote a, a song, that song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? You know, my friends all drive Porsches, I must make amends. I could sing the whole song, but I won't. Or, you know, you know, in Hinduism, you know, Swami Jai Jagadisha Hari, give me a house by the sea and a new 70-inch TV, <laughs> etc. So performing religious activities, but also still very much we're in the center. And then Gyan is even more so, performing religious activities in the idea of becoming God. And then Bhakti is performing religious activities uh, to ultimately reestablish ourselves as servants and lovers of God. So that can be applied in any religious tradition. And see if that, does that religious tradition emphasize karma, Gyan, or Bhakti? And of course, Rupa Goswami would say that. So therefore, bhakti can be in any tradition. I have a friend of mine at work who's a, she's a Sufi and uh, a very devout one. And we have great, you know, spiritual discussions. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I presented her this thing of karma, gyan, and bhakti, and found, she finds it fascinating. So we see strands of bhakti. Uh, sometimes they're mishra, they're mixed, even in our hearts. But at least, usually in our hearts, we, we, have, the, we have all kinds of, of a kitchery going on, right? <laughs> Mixed. But at least we know we, we have, uh, at least by the mercy of Rupa Goswami and the philosophy, we've been able to disentangle these strands. Whereas in, in a lot of traditions, you'll find that they're, they're, they're mixed. Like that. So sometimes we can help people even practice their tradition better by making, giving this explanation. It might be helpful for them. Other thoughts? Yes. And uh, it also boils down to the point that you were make, referencing before that there are commonalities in all the religion and there are the core principles, if we look at it closely, are the same, to love God. Mm -hmm. Then we can appreciate each one of those religion by that principle saying, okay, whatever they are practicing, still their goal is to love God or to awaken love for God. So with that principle in mind, it's better, easier to equally accept and respect people of other faith and religion. Yeah. But we still, if we, if we have more information that would be helpful, it's our, certainly our duty to try to find a way to provide that if they're willing to hear it. Um, so 
I want to add, add more comment what Raghunandan Prabhu said. Uh, there was the biggest flip happened. One of my office met is like really dedicated Christian. And uh, we always have conversation about God. He's a nice person. He quotes all the Bible references and all that mm. stuff. I couldn't, he couldn't talk further with our scripture or knowledge, whatever we are, I'm, I'm, I'm giving. But at one point that as Prabhu said, uh, in only in our cult, we say that we should love cult. God. <laughs> And uh, in other cults, they are saying, God loves us. He does? Yes. So basically, like, you know, this is something, it's quite switch that I, I said that, uh, you know, we are like serving the Lord by loving him, showing how much love we are expressing to him. And he reciprocates. And like, he was keep saying that, like, God loves you, God loves you, God Jesus loves, loves you. you. Yes. Yeah, Jesus loves you. So in that like wow okay <laughs> that's that he well, couldn't uh... yeah i mean yeah we could see it as well we care more about whether god loves us or not than whether we love him but it is reassuring to know that krishna does love us and he he tells us that in many places although you're right i mean i'm trying to think of the places like he says ananyas chintayantamam but he says to those who are constantly devoted and worship me. So, like, he, he seems like sometimes he says, Well, you take the first step. <laughs> but if you take one step, I'll take a thousand steps. And so, what I come, what I get out of that is that Krishna or God, in whatever form we're talking about, doesn't interfere with our, in our uh, free will. That we have free will. Uh, and therefore, we have to take that first step. And then, you know, he says, He says that as people approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. Um, or, yes, yeah, so, so you're right. I think that's an interesting point. Because even in the several places in Bhagavad Gita, he said, He says, always think of me, become my devotee, worship me, you know, and then you will come to me. So, again, he's saying, we got to do something. It's not a, it's a two-way street. But he won't force us, you know, because you can't, a gun to your head and then say, love me is not love, right? So he's not going to ultimately interfere with our free will. But if we take a step towards him, he will take many, many steps towards us. And he wants that. It's just like, you know, we gave the example last week or the week before. It's just like a, a parent who has a wayward child or wayward, you know, 20 something year old, right? Who just uh, leaves home, doesn't communicate, and uh, right, just somehow or other just takes off in a different direction. But the parent is always hoping and praying that one day the child will come back. And then if the child comes back, you're back in the will, you're here's your place, here's your old room, you can stay here as long as you want, you know, whatever, right? Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, like that. So Krishna does love us. So does Jesus. Every, this is from the purport of 23. Even living, did I read that right? Even living entities, no, who are lower than human can be raised to Krishna consciousness by other methods. For example, Shivananda Sena, a great devotee of Lord Chaitanya, delivered a dog by feeding him prasad. Distribution of prasad, or remnants of foodstuffs offered to the Lord, even to the ignorant masses of people and to animals, gives such living entities a chance for elevation to Krishna consciousness. Factually, it happened that the same dog, when 
met by Lord Chaitanya at Puri was liberated from the material condition. So that's one way to benefit everyone is to uh, give them some prasadam. Any thoughts on that? Okay. So we're finally getting to today's verses. <laughs> My dear mother, even if he worships with the proper rituals and paraphernalia, a person who is ignorant of my presence in all living entities never pleases me by worship of my deity in the temple. Again, the point to, um, you, can't, you can't say I love God and to hell with everybody else. <laughs> That's the point. Purport, this gratitude and love for, for the God, this is I think the second paragraph, is exhibited by a pure devotee who knows that the Lord lives in every living entity. As such, temple worship necessarily includes distribution of prasad. So, right, at 1 o'clock today, we're going to distribute prasad. Everyone gets a meal. It is not that one should create a temple in his private apartment or private room, offer something to the Lord, and then eat. Of course, that is better than simply cooking foodstuffs and eating without understanding one's relationship with the Supreme Lord. So, the point here is not that we shouldn't have a deity in our home and offer them, you know, that, that's not the point here. The point is just about how important temples are for mass prasadam distribution. Um, but householders can invite people over to their homes and distribute prasadam that way or make some cookies and offer it to their deity and then bring it to work, things like that. Yep. So text 25, performing his prescribed duties, <clears throat> excuse me, one should worship the deity of the Supreme Personality of Godhead until one realizes my presence in his own heart and in the heart of other living entities as well. So the worship also helps us with that realization. 26, <clears throat> as a blazing fire of death, I cause great fear <clears throat> excuse me, to whoever makes the least discrimination between himself and other living entities because of a differential outlook. Therefore, through charitable gifts and attention, as well as through friendly behavior and by viewing all to be alike, one should propitiate me, who abide in all creatures as their very self. So again, again and again and again, he's, you know, this point here is to see that Krishna is not only in the temple, he's in everyone's heart. 28. Living entities are superior to an to inanimate objects, O oh, blessed mother, and among them living entities who display life symptoms are better. Animals with developed consciousness are better than them, and better still are those who have developed sense perception. Purport in the beginning it says, in the previous verse it was explained that the living entity should be honored by charitable gifts and friendly behaviors. And in this verse, and in the following verses, the description of different grades of living entities is given so that one can know when to behave friendly and when to give charity. For example, a tiger is a living entity, part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and the Supreme Lord is living in the heart of the tiger as super soul. But does this mean that we have to treat the tiger in a friendly manner? Certainly not. We have to treat him differently, giving him charity in the form of prasad. So even if you give tigers prasad, you should be a little careful how you do it. Because he might take your arm as well as the prasad. <laughs> you want to be a little careful about that. 
The many saintly persons in the jungles do not treat the tigers in a friendly way, but they supply prasad foodstuffs to them. The tigers come, take the food, and go away, just as a dog does. According to the Vedic system, a dog is not allowed to enter the house because of their uncleanliness. Cats and dogs are allowed uh, are not are not allowed within the apartment of a gentleman, but so trained that they stand outside. The compassionate householder will supply prasad to the dogs and cats who eat outside and then go away. We must treat the lower living entities compassionately, but that does not mean we have to treat them in the same way we treat other human beings. A feeling of equality must be there, but the treatment should be discriminate should be discriminating. Just how discrimination should be maintained is given in the following six verses according to the different grades of living conditions. So we treat every, so again that point from the very beginning. We, we, we understand that everyone is equal. We, you know, uh, blades of grass also have the super soul inside their heart and our souls and so are we. Um, but we still treat accordingly. Of course, some, many people in, in America would be offended by this point here that you shouldn't have your dog inside the house. But that's, you know, whether, regardless, uh, we, had, we had a dog, um, we had several dogs in, when we lived in Rindavan, and they all lived outside, um, and one of them was called Sleepy. And, uh, but we would allow Sleepy inside the house one day a year. And that was, uh, she, actually she just forced herself into the house. And that was on Diwali because she was so afraid of the fireworks and the firecrackers in Vrindavan. There's, you know, fire. So she's, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't think my, me and my wife, but Gopinath, would, my son, would let her under, under his bed. And just, <laughs> she was shaking the whole night. But uh, regardless of, you know, whether we treat like this or that, you know, we, um, and people may not, everyone may not follow this. Although the idea is that, um, for Vaishnavas, we, we keep our house very clean. That's why we take our shoes off, right? Our shoes have been all over the place, right? And so, in a lot of cultures, it's not just Indian culture, you take your shoes, in Japan, similarly. In China, do they take shoes off? No. We have someone who lives there. <laughs> and she said no. But, but anyway, it's obviously a clean thing, right? Your shoes have been anywhere and stepped in anything, and then you, to wear them around your house is like, you know. So the idea of cleanliness uh, is, is important, but more important is understanding that everyone is a soul. So how to help everyone? And that we do in different ways, just like Shivananda Sain helped that, that dog by feeding it prasadam, right? So, um, yes. In Vrindavan, we would just put, uh, you know, the leftover scraps and things outside. And usually there, there was a, yeah, usually the uh, things like uh, the lettuce and things like that, the, the cauliflower, the cows would just come and finish it off <laughs> very easily like that. We used to have a cow that just like came, a huge cow, she was huge. And she would just like stick her neck right out the door. You'd walk out and you'd see this big cow's face, and, you know, and you just knew it was time to uh, get something for her to eat. <laughs> These weren't the cows in our temple property that are taken care of, really. Paka, these were stray cows that we just kind of adopted as householders. And there's some funny pictures of, you know, Gopinath this big and this cow this big and him, like, you know, holding it. So this is, um, it's, a gradual, it's, a, it's a gradual development of love. So first we may 
especially if it's been our tradition, if we were born in India, for example, or born in a Vaishnava family, that, that we understand the importance of the deity. And so we might first come to the temple and offer respects to the deity and make some prayers. And then the next step in developing our love for Krishna is to understand that Krishna is in people's hearts and to respect that and to, uh, um, not that we worship everyone as Krishna, but we have respect that God is in their heart. And then ultimately, when one actually loves Krishna, then stavaram jagamam deki, that one sees Krishna everywhere. Um, and really realizes that, that he's in everyone's heart. So there's different gradations of developing our spiritual vision like that. Any thoughts? Yes. So do you have a lot of cows at the uh, University of Maryland that come to your house? No. No. <laughs> but we do have a farm. It has horses and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Maybe it has some cows. They do research. So, yeah, I have a stupid question. Uh, oh, good. I like stupid questions. <laughs> so, like, uh, what can we feed the tigers? What can we feed the tigers? Yeah. How, uh, I like, don't know. I haven't ran into a lot of them. I uh, heard stories about them in Hardwar, when I was in Hardwar that, and Rishikesh. They said you have to be careful. Don't go off the path up in the mountains, right? Because there's tigers and they sometimes... Anyone ever seen a tiger living in India? Stray? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't asked them what's on their diet. But um, I, would get, I would hope that they would take some, you know, um, sandesh. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Good. Uh, cats like that. Cats anything like that. Eat, anything like you, yeah. Sleepy would eat pretty much anything, as long as prashadam. Her favorite thing was uh, biscuits. Just she could catch them, we'd throw them in. Catch them. Um, yeah. That is an interesting question. Do you plan on trying to find out? Maybe you could do a Google search on. Because they're not, they're also carnivores, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the carnivore, just like somebody who's not a vegetarian, they also eat vegetables. So I don't know if tigers exclusively eat, right? So you know about that, you know that joke, right, about the, what is it? The um, tiger who became a devotee, right? Yeah, so the tiger becomes a devotee, and so uh, just about to, um, so the, the preacher makes the tiger a devotee, and then the tiger gets hungry, and he's about to eat the preacher, but before he does, he says, Sarira Vijjal Jatendriya. There's a whole joke to it, but I just told you the punchline, basically. <laughs> yeah. So the next verses really um, are summer, uh, go into all this progression. Among the living entities who have developed sense perception, those who have developed a sense of taste are better than those who have developed only a sense of touch. Better than them are those who have developed a sense of smell, and better still are those who have developed a sense of hearing. Better than those living entities who have perceived sound and those who have, can distinguish between one form or another. Um, better than them are those who have developed upper and lower sets of teeth and better still those who have many legs. 
Better than them are the quadrupeds, and better than them still are the human beings. Among human beings, the society which is divided according to quality and work is best. That's far not from. And in that society, the intelligent men who are designated as Brahmanas are best. Among the Brahmanas, one who has studied the Vedas is the best. And among the Brahmanas who have studied the Vedas, one who knows the actual purport of the Vedas is the best. Better than the Brahmana who knows the purpose of the Vedas is he who can dissipate all doubts. And better than him is one who strictly follows the Brahminical principles. Better than him is one who is liberated from all material contamination. And better than him is the pure devotee who executes devotional service without expectation of reward. Therefore, I do not find any greater person than he who has no interest outside of mine and who therefore engages and dedicates all his activities and all his life, everything, unto me without cessation. Such a perfect devotee offers respects to every living entity because he is under the firm conviction that the Supreme Personality of Godhead has entered the body of every living entity as a super soul or controller. Prabhupada begins the purport by saying, a perfect devotee, as described above, does not make the mistake of thinking that because the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as Paramama, has entered into the body of every living entity, every living entity has become the Personality of Godhead. This is foolishness. And then listen, I really like this uh, example, uh, this metaphor. Suppose a person enters into a room. Does that not mean that the room, does, does, does that not mean that the room has become that person? I don't know if the word not should be there, but anyway, right? You get the idea just because you're like, we, have you be all now become the temple room? Right? Or you move into a city. Yes, I, I'm, in New, I'm in New York now, or I'm in Potomac now. Therefore, I am Potomac. Why not? Right? So it's the same similar foolishness. Just because God is in our heart doesn't mean that now I am God. Okay, so it's a nice uh, analogy. Mm -hmm. So even, even when Krishna says, Vishate Tadanantram, that one enters into me, that it, it enters into me means in the sense that just like we've entered into the temple room, we haven't become the temple room. So the oneness between us and God is a oneness of interest. That's mentioned in the translation, right? Um, or was it? Yes, no, the, the verse 20, uh, 33, that he has no other interest outside of mine. So, Tadbudeyas, Tadatmanas, Tadnishtas, Tadprayajanaha, Krishna says in the Gita, that Tadbudeyas, uh, our intelligence, Tadnishtas, our strength, our faith, Tadbudeyas, Tadatmanas, our mind, are all dedicated to God. That's the pure devotee. Pure devotee? Totally fixed like that. Okay, uh, text 35. My dear mother, O daughter of Manu, a devotee who applies the science of devotional service and mystic yoga in this way can achieve the abode of the supreme person simply by that devotional service. So this is, I thought this, was, uh, I wanted to, probably the last verse we may focus on today. Herein, the supreme personality of God at Kapila perfectly explains that the mystic yoga system consisting of eight, different kinds of yoga activities has to be performed with the aim 
of coming to the perfectional stage of bhakti yoga. It is not acceptable for one to be satisfied simply by practicing the asanas, the sitting postures, or the pranayama, uh, and thinking himself complete. By meditation, one must attain the stage of devotional service. So there's a, we, we uh, you know, not that there's anything wrong with pranayama, for sometimes it really calms your nerves, it, 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 it pacifies your mind, Right or doing uh, yoga asanas can be really helpful for your health, right? Um, and even devotees can do those things, not a problem. But the idea that okay, now if, if I pref I'm really good at pranayama, I'm really good at asanas, therefore, that's it, right? But they have a purpose. Does anyone remember the whole steps? Yama, niyama, asana, then pranayama, pratyahar. Dharana, Dhyan, Samadhi. And only Samadhi and Samadhi in, in, in Bhakti means you know, full absorption in Krishna consciousness. So that's the point. And then at the last end of the purport, it is said herein that one can approach the Supreme Personality of God by either the yoga process or the Bhakti yoga process. This indicates that factually there is no difference between yoga and Bhakti yoga because the target of both is Vishnu. In the, but, so that has to be understood in, in the way Prabhupada's wording it. Just like, um, uh, how many of you have been to the Washington Monument? Okay, so is there two ways to get to the top? Right? What are the two ways? Elevator and the stairs. Right. So the top is the goal. Right, which is quicker? So, so Hatha Yoga, you know, yoga is the stairs. And Bhakti Yoga is the elevator. So the, ultimately, the, the person taking the stairs, if he makes it without having a heart attack first, gets to the top and then can perform similar activities as a person who just gets there and says, oh, very nice view of DC. Right? Um, so... This is also mentioned, I think, in the 39th verse of the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, uh, where it's talking about Sankhya Yoga. And Prabhupada's saying the same thing. Sankhya Yoga and Bhakti Yoga are the same because they lead to the same, right? But one's easy, one's hard. Krishna also says that in the 12th chapter, verse 5 of the Gita, where he says, Klesho tesham. He said, yeah, you can try this other path, but it's, it's full of klesh. It's full of difficulties. So I just wanted, you know, because sometimes we can read this, oh, well, then it doesn't matter. Do, do hatha yoga, do bhakti yoga. So uh, in the modern age, however, a yoga process has been manufactured which aims at something void or impersonal. Actually, yoga means meditation on the form of Lord Vishnu. If the yoga process is actually performed according to standard directions, there's no difference between yoga and bhakti yoga. So the goal is the same, but bhakti yoga is so much easier just... Chant, dance, take prasad, bus. So, uh, we only have a few verses, not much left on this chapter, but let us do something unique and end on time. Yes. So, uh, next week we will, uh, we're getting close to the end of this canto. And there's a lot, there's a huge canto. It's one of the biggest, uh, of course, the 10th canto is the biggest, Jai Sisi Gornitai, 
Sita Ram Lakshman Hanuman Shishi Radhamadan Mohan Kijai. Um, tenth canto is the biggest canto, but this is one of the biggest cantos. Third canto, fourth canto, eleventh canto are some of the biggest. So it's quite an accomplishment that we're Hare Krishna. <laughs> <laughs>